At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 276 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Toyota RAV4 Adventure, the McLaren Artura. I tried out Tesla's full self-driving beta. GM's working with its dealers to put EV chargers in communities. Apple's delayed its car. IHS is trying to determine if its crash test facilities can handle heavy EVs. And Polestar and Mercedes are offering EV powertrain upgrades. All that and more coming up next. Episode 276 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Roberto Baldwin from, let's say, Motor One this week. And Nicole is still on vacation with her hubby in Europe. They're uh, landing back in Boston, I think, late tomorrow night. Um, and then uh, she'll be home for a day and then off on another drive trip. And so That's next exciting. weekend, we'll all be back together. Next weekend, it'll be exciting. It'll be, it'll no longer just be the Sam and Robbie show. <laughs> All right, Robbie, uh, you had, you had some interesting stuff to drive this week. What, uh, what did you drive? I did. If you were listening to last week's episode, I just right in the middle, I just left. Yeah. <laughs> so I left in order to go drive the, uh, McLaren Artura. This is McLaren's, uh, plug-in hybrid supercar. Now they had hybrids before. They had the Speedtail, they had the P1, but those weren't, those were like, you know, those were those McLaren, like, we're going to make three, and they're $70 billion. This is something that regular McLaren owners could buy, if, you know, if you're a regular McLaren owner. So, yeah, as, as McLaren owners go, you know. As more, McLaren owners go, yeah. it's, it's, it, the starting press is 200. You, you and I could not afford one. No, 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 I could not afford this, this vehicle. Um. $233,000. So let's just, let's just throw that out there. Just put it right out there in front. Um. But uh, driving it, no, it's you know it has a uh, 7.5 kilowatt um, hour uh, battery pack, so it's not a huge battery pack, and it gets the EPA says 11 miles. McLaren says if you baby it, you probably you driving around town, you probably get 15 miles. That's your EV only um, range. Uh, so you know it's not as nice to say a Rav4. <laughs> A Rav4 which, Prime, which will which will do about forty miles. Which will do about forty miles, but it's also way more fun to drive than a Rav4 Prime. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 still a McLaren, so they still are trying to keep it light. They're trying to keep it nimble. They're trying to keep it quick, and with this uh, hybrid um, powertrain, uh, they've been able to do that. The car is about three thousand pounds. It's not very big, um, you know, for for a hybrid. 
a plug-in hybrid, 3,000 pounds is pretty much nothing. Um, it has 671 horsepower, 530 pound-feet of torque. It has that uh, it has that EV low-end torque, so you can do zero to 60 launches in three seconds, which at this point you're only seeing that number really when it comes to to, to EVs. Uh, so you get that like low-end EV, and then the, the the rest of the motor catches up. It's, so you get that weird feeling when you take off in an EV where it like pushes your eyeballs, it squishes your eyeballs, it like <laughs> reforms your internal organs, it pushes you. You get that from from the McLaren while you're driving it around. Plus, it's really <laughs> it's just really fun to drive. You know, it's planted. You know, the 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 you know the battery pack obviously gives, lowers its center of gravity, but the um, they have this twin turbo V6 in there, and the cylinder is at 120 degrees, so they're really low. It's almost like a boxer engine. Where you know, so they're they're pretty low, um, and so that also lowers the center of gravity. So you have this car that's you know, both elements are, are keeping it pretty low to the ground. Um, so you have this this car that's sort of stuck to the road, and we I drove it in the desert around Las Vegas. And it was very fun, and you know, nice long sweeping turns. And I was like, oh, I wish there was something tighter. And then they took us to the, the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and they let us drive it on the track where there was. A very very busy uh, circuit, um, lots and lots of tight turns, and the thing just sticks to the road. It's just it's really, it's kind of crazy. Just you know, I mean, not it's it's a McLaren. I mean, they, they they're race car people who decided to make started making cars for regular well regular ish people about <laughs> eleven years ago. So you know they have a you know they have they have that that lineage. Um, in order to uh, to do all this, instead of just cramming, you know, uh, an EV battery, you know, a battery pack into a regular McLaren, they they created a brand new uh, architecture. It's called the McLaren Carbon Lightweight Architecture. Which you know, they have that carbon fiber tub that uh, that they're famous for, um, and they set it up so that it has space for a battery. And then they have you know new. Uh, New front and back section. It's that's lighter. It's tighter. The carbon fiber is is um, stiffer. It's lighter than previous carbon fibers that they use in those in their vehicles, and it does all that. But it's also like super safe. That that tub. There was um, a drive program a couple of years ago, where one of the one of the uh, journalists, he was with somebody who was new, which is you know something that's always terrifying to like automotive journalists is getting a drive partner who's new. You've never met him before. They're young, typically a dude. Um, they get for some reason they feel like they have something to prove. And this kid didn't did not should not probably have been driving a McLaren because <laughs> he he launched it off the road at 70 miles an hour, and it, it tumbled. And they got you know they were there you know it's it's the L.A. mountains, uh, the mountains above Southern California, <clears throat> and you know they they were upside There's down. Steep drop offs there. Yeah, there's some steep <clears throat> drop offs and. The tub essentially protected them from, like, getting, well, all smashed to hell. So, yeah, so they're taking that, you know, they take that technology for for their race car teams and they throw it in vehicles for regular, well, again, regular-ish <laughs> people who have a lot more more money than, than you and I. Um, <clears throat> it's, no, it, it, it handles super tight. They don't, they don't have steering by wire. They're still using hydraulic-assisted steering, which is awesome. If you are a um, performance enthusiast, uh, drive-by-wire is still, it's mostly there, I think. It's gotten much better. It used to feel like if you ever drove the i8, mm-hmm. um, it felt like you were just playing a video game, like the steering. 
there's no feedback. You're just like, wee, turn left, you go left, turn right, you go right. You don't have any feedback from from the road or from the tension of, you know, how fast you're going versus, you know, battling physics. Um, so they're still using uh, hydraulic-assisted um, steering, which is nice. Um, it is the first McLaren with adaptive cruise control. So you got that going for you. If, you, if you're the person who buys and dailies your McLaren and or you're going on a road trip, uh, you have adaptive cruise control. It does. It has lane keep assist, which is essentially just yelling at you when you're leaving your lane. But it doesn't. It doesn't engage the steering wheel at all. Um, so no, no, no active assist. Just depart the warning. Lane departure yeah, warning. Yeah. Yeah. So the assistance is just someone yelling at you. You know, it's like like a supervisor. They're yeah. not doing anything. They're just sort of yelling at you to do. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, it. Uh, they do have a. They have an infotainment system. Um, McLaren's not known for its infotainment system. You should not be excited about the infotainment system outside of the fact that it's an 8-inch uh, touchscreen and it supports CarPlay and Android Auto. That's what you should be excited about. You can, you know, you can adjust a bunch of things in the, uh, in the system. But once, you, once you've got it all set up, your car, you just plug in your phone and you're, you'll be a lot, a lot happier. Um, <clears throat> uh, while they're building it, uh, one of the things they wanted to do is make sure that it could do 40 minutes of performance driving without losing any EV performance any electric performance so they worked on that that all said uh yeah two hundred thirty three thousand dollars is really expensive um it's actually quite you, you you have electric comfort uh sport and track mode it's actually quite comfortable in comfort mode which for a mclaren if you've driven a 720 you, you know, they're the gt is pretty comfortable is a pretty comfortable vehicle that's what they built it for this is like just a little bit below that and on the comfort level so you're going to get a nice, comfortable McLaren when you want it. Um, so you got that going for you. And when you start it up, it always starts in electric mode, so you don't annoy your neighbors. So good for that. And it'll stay in electric mode till like eight, till the battery's dead or up to 81 miles an hour. And yeah, Zem, McLaren Artura. It's I, I'm a big fan. I had a lot of fun driving it. Um, no one. No one got any tickets while we were driving, so that's always good when you're, you're, you're driving McLaren. Um, it surprisingly comfortable for uh, a supercar, uh, surprisingly light and nimble for a plug-in hybrid. Um, and, yeah, no, I mean, they could have really kind of said, well, we're making a McLaren, making a hybrid, and didn't, like done a good job and made it work but they've done a great job. like you don't even know you, you don't even feel the battery pack that's 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 a big sign that's a big thing is throwing well, yeah. I think, it's, like, you know, it's not it, huge but yeah. it, you know keeping it relatively modest at about seven and a half kilowatt hours you know I, i'm sure helps um you know obviously you know if, if you put in like a you know an 18 uh you know or 20 kilowatt hour battery like you might have in some other plug-in hybrids you know then you would definitely start to feel it plus you know, it's 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 a fairly small car, and packaging a battery that size in there, along with an engine and everything, would would probably be challenging. It was it was really small. It was it was, it's it's uh, that's one of the things like the wheelbase is pretty short. Um, but yeah, everything it's just such a fun car. I mean, if you're rich, hmm. obviously. I mean, I, I it's a fun car that I'll drive on drive programs. And you know I'm not going up. I don't. I haven't won the lottery. I'm not a. I. I. I don't have a. You mean Motor One of, doesn't pay freelancers quite that much. No, no. Who did I do this for? Oh, it was on for Engadget. So I drove. Oh. So if you want to see, there's a video for, of me driving it around on a gadget. Um, yeah. No, it was. It's. It, oh, it has a drift mode. 
So you can like adjust drift up to I think 15, zero to 15 per, like levels of drift. So you got that going for you on a track. So even when they were handing out the cars, they're like, do not use drift mode on the roads. Please do not you know do not turn off the 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 the, the um, traction control on regular roads. We will be on the track later. You can do it there. So. So um, <clears throat> McLaren has, you know, typically has over the last decade had kind of like three different series of cars. They've had, I think it's the sport series is the the lower lower end ones, the the the, the mainstream car, and then I forget what they call like the the mid the mid series, uh, which is cars like the 720s. Yeah, they just um, called them the supercars, essentially. Okay. I'm sure they, they showed me... I, I think they showed me a, a slide, but it's supercars is what and, it is. And then they've had the, the limited production top-end models, like the P1 and the... Speedtail. Uh, and the Speedtail. Those, you know, and the Senna, you know, those that they make in runs of, like, 106 units, I think, because 106 is the number of the original McLaren F1s that they built back in the 90s. And so they, they did the same number for the... Uh, the Speedtail and the uh, the P1. Um, so this this replaces uh, like the 650, 670 models in in that that entry level series. No, this is their their kind. Of, this is a supercar. Oh, so this isn't that mid that mid range. Yeah, no, this is definitely it's not it's 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 a far more uh, performance orientated than say like the GT. I think the okay. GTs. Um, it's no, this is definitely it. it 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 is it is quick it is nimble it is not um when we were on the track um we had to switch cars um during drive and i got a car with cold tires mm-hmm. and they're like hey you know we're going on track be careful and you know the third turn is like got it sideways yeah because it's because it's a supercar it's got a lot of power it's got cold tires it's got you know and this is the thing that people don't you know people who end up like wrecking their cars at car and coffee is that their car's been sitting this whole time and then they're going to drive away, and they don't realize, like, cold, ever, there's so many things make your car, like, dangerous. <laughs> Besides, like, just a bad, ad- uh, you know, a stupid attitude <laughs> and bad <laughs> ideas. Um, but, like, cold tires will will throw you sideways really quickly um, when you have a lot of power. And, you know, this is, you know, it's got a lot of power, but it handles really well. And it's, no, it's, 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 no, it's definitely a, a supercar. They're definitely going after, you know. The rest of supercar lineup and and everyone else is coming out with their uh, their hybrid supercars eventually. Okay. Um, the uh, oh, what was I say? oh, it's interesting, you know, that they've they've opted for that wide angle 120 degree V6, which is the same configuration that Ferrari's using on the new 296. Um, that that's also a um, 120 degree V6 with the, the turbos mounted in the V uh, above the engine so it keeps it relatively narrow. Yeah, uh, they have the same thing. They have that, yeah. that hot the hot V. And yeah. then uh, below the um, the cylinders are the the intake mount the intakes. So the intakes right. are right below the cylinder so they get those Oh, I forgot to say that the uh, the you know, the like the instead of using stamping which they did, they used aluminum stamping. They also essentially use aluminum uh, vacuum forming in order to get the doors For the body? like the body and then so the panels on the door and the panel the giant panel on the back of the car is actually vacuum formed aluminum and so you can oh, get wow. these really nice like pretty uh like far more intricate uh designs using vacuum forming so if you look at that door it's super tight it's got like a really you know it's it's yeah it's it's 
Yeah, they don't. You know, McLaren's run by just a bunch of engineers. <laughs> it's just a bunch of race car nerds. And uh, whenever you get in one, you know they're you're gonna you know you're gonna notice it. It's 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 definitely like the number one thing is making sure the drive the car drives really well. And then there's like everything else, but everything is for that. That's why whenever you get in, you're like, oh, it's got an infotainment system. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Because that is definitely not, you know, it's one they, of those they, things that customers expect, but you know, they're not necessarily going to uh, to use in a car like this. Yeah, you're not going to see like MBUX level entertainment right. system. No, no hyperscreens. No hyperscreen. It's eight inches. It it's essentially <laughs> looks like a little. It looks like somebody just slapped an Android tablet <laughs> onto the onto the the middle of the dash. The the dash cluster though is super nice. It's really bright. It's got a high contrast. It's got like. No, it's it's super crisp. It's like one of the nicest uh, dash clusters out there, and it's mounted directly to the steering column. So no matter where you put the steering wheel, you oh, can so see it moves everything. Like, like yeah, the Porsche 928s. Yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 a big fan of those just because I'm tall. So sometimes if I have the wheel down, I can't see the top of the steering wheel. And you know, for cars that have um, in-car monitoring, some of them have in-car monitoring in the dash cluster at the very top. So suddenly the car's like, hey, you need to move your steering wheel. And I'm like, yeah. oh, jeez. Um, all right, cool. McLaren Artura. Uh, we'll definitely be uh, putting in an order for one of those, I think. Yeah, well, you know what? We'll get Nicole. We'll all put our money in, and we'll spend, <laughs> like, we'll each get it for between, a month. It's, but yeah, we'll just rotate it around. Between, between the three of us, we should be able to swing it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I had something that was um, not quite as um, energetic, say, as the Artura. Uh, I had the uh, Toyota RAV4 Adventure all-wheel drive. Um, but it's, it's got an adventure in the name. Yeah, it does. Um, and it's a RAV4, uh, which, <laughs> you know, for the, the past several years, uh, since, you know, ever, ever since crossovers moved uh, beyond midsize sedans as the most popular segment in the U.S. market besides trucks, the, um, the RAV4 has been the top selling vehicle for Toyota in, in North America. Uh, and they, <clears throat> prior to the um, pandemic um, and, and then the supply chain shortage uh, last year and this year, they were selling over 400,000 RAV4s a year, um, uh, including more than a quarter of those being hybrids. Um, the hybrid RAV4 is actually the best selling uh, Toyota hybrid now. Um, the adventure that I drove was not a hybrid. Um, Ooh, oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> it had just the base, 2.5 liter, four-cylinder, um, 203 horsepower, eight-speed automatic transmission. So good, good there. No, no CVT in this one. Uh, had a nice eight-speed, which was which is definitely better. Um, and uh, it has uh, dynamic torque vectoring, all-wheel drive, uh, which is part of the adventure package, uh, which. Send, you know, uses the brakes to uh, send send the torque around. Hopefully, where it'll do the most good to whichever wheels where it, where it's most needed. Um, you know, it's it's not exciting, uh, but you know, if you need uh, solid transportation for you know four or five people uh, that will probably run for you know a million miles as long as you do your do your regular oil changes and tire rotations and stuff. Um, you know, this is, this is good. You know, it's pretty basic. Um, you know, it does have adaptive cruise control and, uh, lane centering assist, 
uh, blind spot monitoring. Um, <clears throat> it had the uh, the the one that I had had uh, an option package on there that includes uh, that bumps the the seven inch center touchscreen to a nine inch touchscreen. Oh snap! Um, has uh, a lot. So hey, it's got more screen than the uh, McLaren does for a fraction of the price. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> you get a whole extra inch of screen for you know, and you save a ton of money getting it. So if you want, you know, more screen than you get in a McLaren Artura, the Rav Four is for you. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, it's the the engine, the powertrain is especially you know in the non-hybrid um, is you know it's fine. It's it's not particularly refined. You know, it's it can be a little noisy sometimes. Uh, it's smooth enough. It just you know makes noises that you know aren't necessarily uh, enticing or um, pleasant. Um, <laughs> it's not you know I, I've I've been in worse. Um, you know, but it's I've it, been in worse, which is everyone. It's, it's fine. Uh, but the the vehicle itself is solid. The ride the ride quality is good. It's comfortable. You know, it handles Michigan pavement, uh, you know, such as it is, uh, with relative ease. Um, you know, it's it's got all the it's got all the features that you want. You know, in in a modern you know standard vehicle, um, it's got uh, cameras all around. Uh, <clears throat> uh, what is it? It's got something it lists here on the Monroney, two hundred uh, two hundred and sixty nine dollars for a dropship indicator, whatever that means. Uh, oh no! What? Actually, that no. That's part. Sorry, that's part of this other package with the uh, the two tone roof. So this was a pale green with a black roof, uh, and dropship indicators included in that. And I don't know what that means. Um, I'm gonna look that up. While it's, you're not, it's not. It's not like they're you know picking this up from you know factory in China and drop shipping it to you. So I'm not really sure what what that's referring to. Uh, it does have roof racks, uh, roof rails. Uh, so you can you know tie stuff to the roof uh, for a road trip and you know really add extra lots of extra drag um, and, uh, and reduce your fuel economy. And the fuel economy, you know, it's rated at 28 miles per gallon combined, uh, EPA rated. Uh, so 25 city, 33 highway. Um, I did quite a bit of highway driving with it. it only and you know wasn't beating this thing up, and it only averaged about 26, which was not that impressive. Not that impressive, mm. um, you know. I think if I was buying a Rav Four, I would probably be inclined to get a hybrid rather than this. The just adventure the, package. Just get the prime. Yeah, prime yeah. it up. If well, you're gonna do it. Just go for it, man. Especially for the price of this one. Um, you know, grand total on this one came to thirty nine thousand three hundred fifty six dollars, <sighs> which you know seems kind of high for what you're getting here. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel particularly premium like a forty thousand dollar car should. Um, you know, the base price on the Adventure is thirty three seven, um, and you know it's it's not like it. You know, the Adventure. You know, it's got black alloy wheels um, and those roof rails. You know, so it looks slightly more adventurous, but you know, it's not doesn't really have the functionality. You know, it's not going to compete with something like a Bronco Sport and its off road capability. Um, so, you know, I would probably go with a, a different trim level, like, you know, like a hybrid, uh, hybrid XLE or a hybrid LE, 
uh, or you know, or the prime. You know, the prime, uh, the prime is uh, just over forty grand, I think. Yeah, forty-one uh, five ninety. Yeah, so you know, for that kind of money, you know, if you're going to spend nearly forty grand anyway, get the prime, get that forty miles of electric driving range, and I think you'll be a lot happier with this because you know most of the time. The vast majority of the driving you're doing, the engine's not going to be running anyway, um, and so you're not going to hear the the, the kind of you know coarse tone of the engine, um, and uh, you'll get a lot better efficiency, and you know it'll, your operating costs will be a lot lower as long as you plug it in every night. Um, so the uh, the yeah the Rav Four Prime or the Rav Four Adventure, uh, almost forty grand. You want to take a guess at the delivery charge? Oh oh oh. Thirteen hundred. Uh, twelve fifteen. Oh, I'm pretty close. And uh, you know, this one was built in. I feel uh, like I still win. I'm, I'm the only one here. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so this this one this one's, this one's built in Canada. Uh, they also build Rav fours. Uh, I think in Indiana uh, as well. And then the primes come from Japan. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a solid, you know, compact crossover. Uh, you know competes against the likes of the CRV and the Escape and the Hyundai Tucson. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't think I would opt for this particular configuration. Yeah, I've, I, I tell people to get the Prime all the time. They're yeah. like, well, I need to do it. I'm like, just get the Prime. Because they, they, they want an SUV. Everyone wants an SUV. Um, they want, you know, and, and value-wise, you know, CRV, RAV4. I'm like, just get one of those. Get a hybrid of one of those. You're gonna be fine. You're gonna be a happy camper. Yeah, and you know when I've had the hybrid uh, Tucson or the hybrid uh, Rav fours, I've always gotten around 40 miles per gallon with them. You know, yeah. so it's gonna cost you a lot less for gas with one of the hybrids, and even less if you get the Prime. Yeah, and you you know most of the time you're just cruising around town, doing your errands, maybe getting heading to where 40 was it 40 miles now? What's the yeah? Um, it's 40. Last something. time I had the Prime. I ran it on my test loop and got uh, forty, uh, almost forty-three miles on it last time. Yeah, forty-two miles according to the EPA. So forty-three, yeah. So it's even in you know it's the real world too. It's you yeah. over forty miles. Man, just just get that. You're not you're not you're not doing adventure stuff in a in a Rav Four. Yeah. <laughs> There's two types of adventure. There's people who are like, oh, you know what? I have a lot of snow. I have like real like off dirt roads i have to deal with but those are subaru owners they're like yeah. the, the sort of like okay i really like logical and then there's i'm gonna go do all these crazy things and they never do and those are bronco and jeep <laughs> yeah and they're okay and if you were one of those bronco or jeep owners who actually are or who actually goes off-road and does it you you know i applaud you because you are the you are the reason those cars are built but if you're you know whatever i mean i never take my brz to a track <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so that's the that's the rav4 um get the get the basic one don't get the adventure um or or step up you know and you get, if you're gonna spend that money get the prime instead yeah throw a battery in there yeah. rav4 better with a battery that's that's yeah. what that's what that should be the tagline Toyota. rav4 better with a battery yeah at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. 
Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Um, this week, I also had the opportunity to uh, meet up with a friend that owns a Tesla Model 3. And until, well, until about a week and a half, two weeks ago, uh, Tesla was requiring owners that wanted to get into the full self-driving beta program to get a score, uh, they, they have a safety score that the car calculates based on your, your driving patterns, based on how hard you accelerate and brake and, uh, and, and things like that. And um, to, in order to get into the beta program, you had to uh, have a score of at least, I think it was 97 or 98 um, on, out of 100. And um, this owner was not quite there. Let's put it that way. Let's leave, oh. leave it at that. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, they decided, well, you know what? We got to book some extra revenue by the end of the quarter. Um, and so we're going to make FSD beta available to all the people who paid us 15 grand or somewhere between five and $15,000 over the last five years uh, in, order to, uh, in order to get this uh, so we can book that revenue um, and you know, get some profits this quarter because we might not get it otherwise. And so... <clears throat> Uh, no matter what your safety score is, you can now get the FSD beta. And uh, so I reached out to my friend and said, hey, um, love to give this a shot. You know, I've never had an opportunity to, give it a to roll. Try, try this out. And he said, yeah, come on over. And so we went for a drive. Um, let's just say um, my previous suspicions from watching videos of other people with FSD beta is that this software should not be on public streets in the hands of consumers. Um, it, it does basic things like keeping the car centered in the lane and even doing lane changes um, does that just fine. You know, but, I mean, Autopilot has done that fine for years. Yeah, and other systems like Super Cruise do it fine. Four, five, yeah, six, six years. It's been, it's been over six it's been years since while. they announced FSD. Yeah. 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 It was October 2016 <clears throat> when they announced it. And at that time, you know, it, I'll, I'll include a link to that conference call, but basically the first sentence out of Musk's mouth on that conference call is, every Tesla we're building now, this was in October 2016, he said, every Tesla we're building now has 
everything we need for full level five autonomy. And all we have to do is update the software. And level I'll five means that it can operate without supervision, uh, without anybody in the vehicle, um, without intervention, under all conditions. I was and at that event. It was like me and like just like maybe eight other people. And he just sort of appeared out of a side room, sort of disheveled. <laughs> and I was like, huh. Also, his normal, his normal look. Yeah, yeah. You're like, huh, this, uh, this is kind of a big deal. And he just sort of like appeared and then disappeared back into a side door. And I'm like, all yeah. right. And then they let us drive the car. <laughs> so um, it's, it's not capable of self-driving. It's, you know, it's a decent driver assist system. Um, but there are still <clears throat> way too many scenarios where um, it just has no idea what to do. You know, with, and this, you know, oftentimes, often, you know, includes, you know, you go to different cities, different, different regions, and you'll find different road configurations. You know, some places you'll find more roundabouts, um, you know, other places, uh, you know, you have, you have different kinds of stuff, different ways that they set up the roads and the rules of the road. And here in Michigan, we have a phenomenon known as the Michigan left turn. And so on some major thoroughfares like Woodward Avenue and Telegraph Road in, in the Detroit area or Jackson Road in Ann Arbor, um, you know, these are wide roads, typically, you know, three, three lanes in each direction with a center median. And in order to improve traffic flow and safety, instead of allowing left turns off of these roads, you know, at, at various intersections, direct left turns, what they force you to do is kind of drive just past the road that you want to turn on and there will be a cutout in that center median and so basically another left turn lane where you can do a u-turn and so typically you know you would go you know 50 or 100 yards past the intersection go into this left turn lane do a u-turn come back and and make a right turn onto that road instead of doing a left and um the when we tried this on woodward avenue um, at several locations, uh, the car would get over to the, the main left lane, slow down as it approached this turn lane, and then it's like it had, I don't know what to do with this, and so it would speed <laughs> up and go on to the next one. And, it would, and then it would come up on another one, you know, another quarter mile or half a mile down the road. It's like, I, I don't know what to do with this. And it would just keep going until it, finally got to a spot where there was just a normal place where it could make a normal left turn. And then it, it made the left turn loop through a neighborhood and finally came back to, to Woodward Avenue. Um, yeah. And, and this is just one of the things, another thing that I didn't see, but, but that, uh, the owner told me about was he was in downtown Detroit near Huntington place convention center and on Jefferson Avenue, uh, you know, this is the former for, the facility formerly known as Kobo Center. And if you're heading uh, west on Jefferson towards the convention center, as you approach the convention, convention center uh, about a block away, the road actually splits. And the two, uh, so it's four lanes, the two right lanes, or sorry, it's three lanes. The, the, the center lane splits. The right lanes go straight ahead until you get to the convention center. Then you have to turn right onto Washington Avenue. The, the, the lanes on the left go down through a tunnel underneath the convention center and come up on the Lodge Freeway. And uh, he, he said that the first time he tried it, 
uh, he was approaching, he was in the center lane approaching this, and it went to the right. And it thought it was, you know, I guess it thought it was going through the tunnel and just went straight and didn't even start to slow down as it was actually approaching the building, approaching the convention center. He had to intervene <laughs> and hit the brakes. All right. I know exactly where that's at. That took me a second yeah. to, like, figure it to, 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 to my brain. Yeah, you just, like, slam right straight into the convention center. <laughs> yeah. The next time, yeah, it's like it was trying to emulate back in the early 90s when they, when they launched the, uh, the original Jeep Grand Cherokee. And drove it through the the glass doors of the convention center. You know, it's like it wanted to drive up the the steps through the glass doors. The next time he he so from there he looped back around, tried it again. The next time it went left. You know, it was in the same lane. He went left and went down the through the tunnel. And then he looped it again, came back around again. The third time it went, did the first thing. It went to the right again. So the, one of the fundamental problems with a system, or one of the fundamental things you you have to do with a system like this, or any driver assist system. And I learned this back in the early 90s when I was working on ABS. One of, you know, my, my boss at the time, we were evaluating the system I was working on. And you know, so the, the thing you really have to do with any system like this is whether it's behaving perfectly or not, what's more important is that it behaves consistently. It's got to be predictable for the driver. Yeah. So I'm, no matter I'm, what, you know, you get into any given situation, the driver has to know how the system's going to respond. Um, and, you know, in this case here, it was unpredictable. And there were a lot of scenarios where it was very unpredictable, where sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, and it's just, it's just not ready uh, for, to be used by the public. Um, you know, they, they, need to, they need to stop this beta testing with the public. This is not the way to do it. Because no. it's dangerous. In fact, so much so that the owner of the car, after a couple of days, he went out and got a student driver sticker and put it on the back of uh, <laughs> on the on the, the, the trunk lid, because um, you know it was so you know it it did a lot of things like you know like a, a 16 year old you know just learning how to drive would do you know randomly hitting the brakes and and doing all kinds of other things. Yeah. And rather than get rear-ended, you know, he wanted to provide a warning to anybody following him that, hey, this car might do something weird. Uh, so he put a student driver sticker on there. It's, it's, I mean, I'm, I've been in Teslas and, you know, at the time, this is like three, four years ago, it was the best ADAS system on the road, but also the one with the most, where I was most likely to have something weird happen. Like almost every Tesla I've ever been in, something just weird happens when ADAS is in, when, when the driver's assistance system is on. Like it's just phantom braking, like just weirdness, like just weird thing. And that's what happens when you kind of turn everything up to 11, which is what Tesla essentially did when they first launched uh, um, Autopilot. They just took a system and they just turned it all the way up. Yeah. And so we're like, hey, look what we're done. And, 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 and all the other automakers are like, you just turned up the Bosch system to 11. You didn't yeah. really do anything. <laughs> you just like sort of removed some of the, you know, it's, it, yeah. So, you know, now they have their own system and they continually, you know, removing uh, sensors in order to save money. Um, and that's really the reason why you're doing it is, you know, you're trying to get as much get as much profit out of every vehicle as possible. And that's the thing. And, and, and you know, they, they've come up with this idea where if they put all the hardware on every Tesla and then they just hope that you turn it on and you pay for it, you know, that's, 
that's sort of the and, and that helps you know it reduces complexity in manufacturing which especially when they were brand new you know you want you don't want like five different time, types of model 3 going down the line if you got two types of model 3 they all have all the hardware and one has one battery pack and the other has another that you know that's that you know but you can sell it as five different models or whatever that's you know that's going to save you money but you're also losing money if people aren't turning those uh, you know aren't turning on the software packages that you're selling and i think at some point they're like well we're not selling enough of these fsds so they just kept raising the price to, to like was it fifteen thousand dollars now yeah, it's 15 grand now fifteen thousand dollars <laughs> you could buy a nice used car for fifteen thousand dollars <laughs> or you can subscribe uh, for two hundred dollars a month or you can two hundred dollars a month is a lot of money mm-hmm. that's that's i i <laughs> that's a that's, that's another that's, that's, that's more than a lot of people can afford for a car payment yeah, and so you you know you're paying a lot of money for a system on a car where they just keep pulling sensors off, and you're just like, well, I understand financially why they're doing this, but you know, like you said, consistency. One of the things about when you ride a motorcycle, um, you want people to do the thing that you think they're going to do, and sometimes people will see someone ride a motorcycle and they'll try to be helpful in some way. Don't don't just do what you were going to do. If it's your turn at the light, go. If it's your turn at the stop sign, go. Don't don't try to like, oh, well, let me just let you go. Because it's uh, the motorcyclists do not like that. I had a friend, he would just turn his motorcycle off if the person refused to go. Yeah. When it was their turn. He's like he's like because when you when you when you introduce like these inconsistencies on the road or you know, behind the wheel, like it 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 just makes things really complicated. Just do the thing you're supposed to do when you're behind the wheel, and the car should just do the thing that everyone expects it to do when it's driving. And when it's like sort of all over the place, it, you can't trust it. And you know, I talked to a guy on the plane coming back from I don't know wherever some country, and um, he has a Model S, and he he has a Plaid, and he he's like I the, he's like yeah the the the, the driver assistance is not great, and his wife refuses. She won't even turn it on. She absolutely hates that car. Just because of that, because he's like it's all over the place. He's like spent all this money on this system that doesn't really work that great. Yeah. And so you know, outside of you know, there you know, I'm sure there's people who use it and they absolutely love it and they're like it's the best thing ever. But a lot of the people who are on Twitter who use it and love it either a are sycophants or b they have uh, a vested interest in Tesla, which is means they have a lot of money invested in Tesla. Which you know, if you put a lot of money into a company, you want that company to do well, and if you can you know, argue that that company should be, you know, is doing well on Twitter, then you might as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and to be fair, you know, Tesla is not the only one of late, you know, that has had challenges with some of this inconsistent behavior. I mean, I've complained about uh, Ford's Blue Cruise, um, you know, and the biggest complaint I have with Blue Cruise, well, one of one of the major complaints I have with Blue Cruise is also inconsistent behavior. You know, when you're driving down a highway, and you know you're approaching a curve, uh, and this is one that hopefully the new update of, of Blue Cruise will address. But you know, as you approach a curve, in many many instances, it'll tell you to put your hands back on the wheel because it it doesn't it so far at least it hasn't had predictive speed control where it uses the map to judge the radius of that curve and slow the truck down as you approach that curve. Um, you know, and then speed back up the way GM's Super Super Cruise does. Yeah, Blue Cruise didn't do that, and so. You're constantly having to, um, you know, be wary of when, uh, you know, when you have to put your hands back on the wheel and take retake control, um, and especially with, you know, uh, a less than ideal 
uh, user interface for it in terms of knowing you know when you need to take control. Um, it, it that inconsistency is one of my one of my big complaints with it. That yeah. you know, and speaking of the interface, that's another problem with with the Tesla, especially in the Model Three and the Model Y. Less so in the S and X because they actually have an instrument cluster in front of the driveway, in front of the driver where it belongs. You know, on the S and the X, you just have some small icon, or on the Y and the three, you just have some small icons in the upper left-hand corner of the center screen, and you know, to let you know when it's engaged or when you need to take control back. You know, and given that they tell you that you have to keep your hands on the wheel and eyes on the road when you're using the system, you know. The fact that you have to look over away from the road, over and down at the screen, to see you know what mode it's in, and you know whether you need to, you know, be in full control or or just let it do its thing, um, I think is also a bad user interface design. And I I would have less of an issue with Tesla have using just the center screen if they would at least offer a heads up display, you know, so you could put that yeah. information in the heads up display. But they don't even offer a heads up display on any of their models. Which I think is is also problematic. Yeah, it's it's mode confusion. Which if yeah. you don't know what mode you're in, you're just driving and you're like, oh, the car's going to slow down, and then it doesn't. Right. <laughs> because you don't know what mode you're in. Now that that's that's a huge. I mean, that's why I, I remember when the cat when they showed off the Cadillac with Super Cruise the first time. It had those little lights on the steer, the little light mm-hmm. at the top of the steering wheel, and everyone was like, oh my god, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then you drove, and then I drove it like however many months later i was like oh this is awesome this is the yeah, greatest thing no i've ever confusion. seen you know yeah. exactly what mode it's in if it's if it's green you're good to go hands-free if it's red you got to put your hands on the wheel and blue it's it's ready to go when whenever whenever you want to take your hands off yeah um, it's 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 i mean this whole thing is like super difficult and i think everyone thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was and like we're 90 percent there and they're like yeah but that last 10 percent is you know, I'm 90% there to being a good guitarist because I know how to tune a guitar. I'm not a good guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that last 10% is, uh, that's the, to be the Eddie Van Halen of guitar. That's, that's you know, decades and decades of work. Yep. All right. Um, next up, uh, GM this week um, talk, made an announcement about their uh, dealer community charging program. They actually first announced this last year. Um, and it's a program where they're encouraging their dealers to sign up, especially dealers in rural areas, um, you know, away from major cities, where there typically isn't a lot of public charging infrastructure. And what GM is doing is for dealers that sign up, um, they will supply them with up to 10 19 kilowatt uh, level two chargers uh, that can be installed around the community. So it's not for chargers at the dealerships but um, to put them in other locations around the community. And so the dealers work with uh, site owners, and and GM participates in this as well. GM provides the chargers. Um, And then, you know, depending on where you are, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, in partnership with the site owners and the dealers, sometimes the charging will be free. Sometimes they may charge for it. There's still, you know, that, that will vary depending on the location, just as it does for... A lot of other level two public charging, um, like you know, a lot of the charge point chargers, Blink, and so on. Um, sometimes it's free. Sometimes you got to have to pay a, a fee. Um, and they've got the first of those installed now. Um, the first ones uh, were with a dealer in central Wisconsin, northwest of uh, of Madison. Um, they've put some chargers in there, some 19 kilowatt chargers, and yeah, you know, so 19 kilowatts is pretty fast. 
um, you know, so, something yeah, like a Chevy Bolt. Uh, you know, you can charge it up in about uh, uh, about four hours, uh, three or four, three and a half, four hours at a 19 kilowatt charger. Um, and uh, uh, and then you know, they, uh, like I said, GM is will provide up to 10 chargers, and about a thousand, over a thousand of their dealers, of their 4,000 dealers, have signed up for this program. Uh, they also have some installed um, in a town called Owasso near Flint, um, and there's a lot more coming over the next several months. Um, so that's their uh, dealer community charging program. I mean, it's a you get it's going to help the dealer sell the cars because mm-hmm. you know the infrastructure is the big you know, and I, I know we always talk about you know range range anxiety. It's really charging anxiety. People are just I'm like, what do I charge? What do I you know? Um, you know, nineteen kilowatts. That's that's a that's that's pretty fast for an AC. It's pretty charger. quick. Yeah, you throw that. At, you know, I, and there are when I was uh, re- in the early days of EVs, back when I was reviewing them in in San Francisco, where there's like zero chargers. Like I was like, well, I guess I'm gonna just gonna go do some shopping at Walgreens because that was the only place I could get a yeah. <laughs> charging station. And so what happens is you're driving around, you're like, oh, you know, I need to charge my car. Oh, this 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 supermarket has a chargers and this one doesn't well why don't i just go to this supermarket because like you know i can charge while I'm, I'm i'm buying you know my groceries for the week and you know this mall has charging but this mall doesn't and malls are essentially the same you, you either want uh you know whatever pretzel you know both the pretzel uh places and you know it was aunt Andy's your pretzels and, it, and your cinnabons and your yeah your wetzel's pretzels <laughs> your aunt andy's they're essentially the same pretzel yeah. and so it doesn't matter what mall you go to <laughs> But no, I mean this helps, and it you know they, it gives the you know the dealership gets you know to feel warm and cuddly for helping their their uh, their community. The people who are looking for EVs feel better because they can see chargers out in their community. Um, and, and of course, GM gets to put out this press release. But you know we it's you just you know we went to, I went to Norway a few years ago to drive the uh, I don't know some Mercedes SUV that was supposed to come here the EV the, the EQ. uh, EQC. EQC that never ended up not coming here, but just driving around Norway, you're like, there's chargers every, they're all along the street, they're just everywhere, and I'm like, this is kind of what everything needs to be, because mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, you just pull up at a spot and you just plug in your charger and then you go on your way. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think we're going to see a, a lot more of that sort of, hopefully, in especially in in cities and stuff, but like out in the middle of nowhere. Again, I think I was talking to you before a podcast. There's like three EA stations within five miles of my house. I live in Northern <laughs> California. It's yeah. I don't yeah. It's fine. We're fine. <laughs> There's I have to go check to see the EV Go station. They they put in some new ones at the between that's between me and one of the uh, EA stations. That's two miles from my house. <laughs> so a mile away is an EV Go, and then an extra mile is like an EA station. So. I'm doing okay, but meanwhile, and you know, in, in other parts of the country, not so much. And so this this really helps. Well, my local EA station down the street here, um, they just finished installing uh, brand new chargers there. They ripped out the old ones that were so problematic, and uh, five of the six chargers they left the one that had a Chatamo connector on it, but the other five chargers have all been replaced with brand fancy new chargers. Um, yeah, but they haven't been turned on yet, so hopefully uh, next time I have a, a plug-in, an EV to charge, uh, to try to drive, then uh, those things will be turned on, and I can go see if they actually work. Cool. Yeah, the ones near my house are relatively new, so they haven't... I keep looking, because I want to see the new chargers. I think I saw... <clears throat> 
I think I saw somewhere they were like working on them, but yeah, near my house. Let's see. There's one there. There's one there. There's one there. There's one there. <laughs> I just pulled up a map. I mean, they're not everywhere. There's within, I don't know, like a 30 mile radius is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're in the, on the other side of the bridge. Yeah, there's like seven EAs. Oh, well, eight actually. There's eight EA chargers near my house, so I'm okay. And that's not counting EVgo and then the course charge point, which is usually a little bit lower, but they've been putting out um, high-speed like, DC fast chargers too. So yeah, the, the it's gas getting there. Here that just put in a couple of DC of uh, charge point DC chargers uh, this summer. Oh, uh, cool! Used one of those. Yeah, they're only 150 kilowatt, but that's you know that's fine. But still, for those people. yeah, yeah. There, there. So there was a Valero up the street from my house that I would walk to every day, and I met, I became friends with the uh, ladies, especially during COVID, because it was the like, I'm just gonna walk to the store. Um, they shut down to become a 7-Eleven, and everything in there was 7-Eleven branded. It just wasn't mm-hmm. 7-Eleven brand. So like, oh, they're gonna re, they're they're, they're like, oh, we're shut, we're remodeling the store, and I'm like, well, how long is that gonna take? And they're like a year, and I'm like, a year. And then they just demolished the store and then rebuilt another building like 30 feet over. But I keep driving by. They have a fence around it. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping, because it's a gas station, I'm kind of hoping that they also put a charging station. I mean, it's, I have charging at home. But, I, you know, every time I see something new, especially with gasoline, I'm like, just throw some charging in there. Put yeah, like, a I'm, coffee I'm machine actually in. surprised. There's, there's a, a brand new gas station that just opened up a couple months ago nearby here. Um, where There used to be a gas station that closed like uh, 15 years, 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and they demolished it and tore out the old tanks, and they just built a brand new gas station there. And I'm really surprised, and with a convenience, nice convenience store and everything, I'm surprised they didn't put any chargers in there. It's you know, throw some chargers in, put a little yeah. tables outside, and you're gonna have people just hanging out at your gas station, buying a lot more stuff, which is how you're making money anyway. At I, least, I, at I least know. in the warm weather months. Uh, I don't. I don't think people are going to hang out at those tables in the winter time here. Yeah, I live in California. <laughs> well, it's what's the, it's like thirty something degrees outside, but that's, we don't care. We're just like oh, whatever. Um, all right. Um, are you uh, excited for an Apple Car? Are you planning to get an Apple Car? So uh, the Apple Car. I used to be the online editor, so I ran the website for all the news um, for a Mac site for Mac Life which used to be Mac Attic as part of the future publishing. I was, you know, I started, well, I didn't start my technology, my, my journalism career, but, you know, part, a big part of my, my journalism career was in tech, and a big part of that was covering Apple. After that, I covered Apple for, like, Gizmodo, and I covered Apple for Wired, I covered Apple for Get. I covered Apple for a long time. And this damn Apple car has been around, like, almost the entire time. It's either the rumors or just, like, wishes... And I've even wrote it. I even wrote an article at Engadget. I'm like, you know, if Apple wants to do a car, they can. They, you know, they have the money. They have, mm-hmm. you know, but what they want to do, you know, just make an autonomous car. Like, why? Who cares? It's, you know, it's, it's, okay, a, an autonomous, just a pure like level five autonomous car for someone to buy. No one's gonna buy that because you can just have a taxi come to your house. B, if they do make one that is a taxi, you know, I was talking to to the CTO of Mercedes and I'm like, are you and I asked about taxis. He's like, are you going to wait five minutes longer for a Mercedes branded taxi? Like, like, no, he's like, why would you do that? He's like, there's no reason for that. And plus they sell most of Europe is, is littered with Mercedes brand, you know, Mercedes taxis. So I don't, I don't know if they can just make a car. I, I mean, you know, it says they're, they're pulling back on their, 
They're they're making it level five, which means it has no wheels. It has you know not no wheel. <laughs> Doesn't have no a steering, steering wheel or pedals. No, no steering wheel or pedal. They're you know level four, which is steering wheel or pedal, and then you know autonomous when it, you want it, and then level three obviously is that's you know autonomous in very select areas, like which 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 what is what Mercedes is trying to launch right now. But I don't. I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, back in 2015 when. It first, you know, the the news about Project Titan, which is Apple's car program, first leaked out. I wrote a series of articles, you know, on my personal blog back at the time, and I'll include a link to that. Um, you know, on, on why I didn't think that Apple would ever actually build a car. You know, uh, first off, you know, the profit margins in the auto industry are peanuts They're compared to what Apple likes. super slim. Like, yeah. Apple makes bazillions of dollars. Why Apple's, would they... Apple's a company that likes, you know, 35 to 40% profit margins. Exactly. Nobody in the auto industry makes 35 to 40% no. profit margins. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, you also have the, the problem of how do you actually sell them? You know, um, you know, Apple's not a company that is likely to embrace franchise dealers. No. Um, you know, then you know you have challenges with the direct the direct consumer model like Tesla and, and Rivian and others do you know because you still have to have some service locations and you know you have somewhere to, to deliver the cars, um, and you know it would also limit where they could do it if they wanted to do direct to consumer, and I actually did speculate that you know if they were if they were going to do something that the way for them to do it would be to do a premium robo taxi service. Uh, because the you know the other thing that t- that Apple doesn't like is they don't like people messing with their their stuff. They don't <laughs> like them modifying their stuff. Even if you even if you buy it, you know, if you you buy an iPhone, you buy a Mac, you know, Apple does not like you making modifications to that stuff. Um, and so what they, you know, what I what I speculated that they would probably do is do, um, you know, a robo taxi that they retain ownership of. That way, they don't have to mess with dealers. They don't have to, uh, you know, mess with with distribution. They can l- limit where they're deployed to markets where there is a significant affluent, you know, consumer audience Rich that people. would be willing to pay a premium price for that, um, and you know, maybe do it as a subscription instead. You know, so you could get rides anytime you need, things like that. Um, and you know, they retain control. You know, and it never never gets modified. Um, you know, they have struggled apparently to develop an automated driving system. I mean, as much as I don't like the uh, uh, the driver intervention data that California requires um, autonomous companies to submit every year, you know, if you look at that data from Apple versus everyone else, their numbers are pretty bad in terms of you know number of miles between interventions. Um, you know, I mean, Apple's got a lot of interesting technology that could benefit them in developing automated systems. You know, their, their, their Apple Silicon chips are incredibly powerful. You know, it would be, you know, great, a great platform for them to use. You know, <clears throat> they've done a lot of interesting stuff with sensors. But, you know, now the latest report out of Bloomberg uh, is that, they, the the whole program has been pushed back to at least 2026, and they've largely given up on the idea of doing a robo taxi or a completely self driving vehicle 
and um, you know it's going to be a more conventional electric vehicle with a price starting at, at a minimum of $100,000. <sighs> Which we have enough $100,000 EVs, yeah. to be honest. I mean, I understand. I mean, if, if, if the... If the goal is the, the you know the the sort of Tesla model or really even the Mercedes model, which is like you put all the tech in the most expensive vehicle and then you wait for it to work its way down the you know you make you keep introducing cheaper and cheaper models with the tech that you showed off three years ago in a more expensive model. That's great. And if if Apple can do that, if Apple can come out in by the by 2030 with a you know a twenty five thousand dollar EV, awesome. That's great. Good, you know, I'll be very happy. Um, but it's yeah, like you said, like the profit margins are, are sort of like not great. Uh, it's becoming an increasingly crowded market. I mean, Tesla's feeling the squeeze. Um, you just look at their China, what they're doing in China, and you know, even here, and they're you know their their stocks are kind of being punished for that. Um, and so it's 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 a, it's it's a sort of a thing. They have just momentum. I think. I think it's just inertia <laughs> within Apple that we're gonna do this thing. And like, there's like, there's been like 50 executives that have worked on it over the years, mm-hmm. like automotive executives that have sort of come and gone. And I think they just, I think they show up and they're like, oh, we're gonna do this great thing. I'm working with Apple. And then they're like, we were, we would have already shown this off at the auto show if I had been working at GM or Toyota or whatever. So, and they, I, I think if Apple really wants to do this, what they should do is just buy Lucid. Yeah, yeah, no, and yeah. that would, yeah, that's that's. They, they already have a factory. They're up and running. They've got product, um, really good product. Uh, yeah, just buy Lucid. You know, and that's that's the kind of product that would fit within the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, and and it's full of Apple employees. Yeah, <laughs> they're you know the CTO or not the 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 main like uh, engineer like the. The software is like a bunch of Apple employees when they when they did the recent upgrade. Yeah, Mike, to Mike their, Bell. Yeah, Mike Bell, super nice guy. Um, uh, you know, big nerd. So we we, we hit it off great. <laughs> but, but you know, he's just like you know, I worked at Apple. We know how to ship software, and that's that's really and that's Apple. You know, software is you know that's what's having problem. You know, Volkswagen has problems with software. Everyone has problems with software. Um, Lucid had problems with software, and then they got Mike Bell in there and a bunch of ex-Apple employees, and then they rewrote the code. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it you know if you if buy something, um, maybe implement some of your stuff into it, um, and then hopefully you know bring the price down to to. I mean, really, I mean, again, we we have enough we have enough expensive EVs. I mean, I like driving them, but the rest of us need el- uh, electric cars. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, IHS, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, they do uh, a lot of crash testing of vehicles. Um, they have uh, they have their own crash test facility, uh, and they do the the top safety picks every year. Um, they were a little concerned uh, as to whether their uh, their crash test facilities would hold up with some of the very heavy new EVs that are coming to market, and they specifically were wondering, you know, could could this facility um, withstand uh, a 9,500-pound EV? Um, and, uh, gee, who makes a 9,500-pound EV? Oh, yeah, GM, the uh, the Hummer EV. <laughs> Listen, it, it's it's a moonshot. Um, they got a lot of moon, like, iconography inside the car. It's really to be driven on the moon, where it's only, like, 6,500 pounds. <laughs> yeah. So they, uh, they took an old F-150, and they loaded it up with concrete blocks and steel plates, um, you know, to bring it up to 9,500 pounds, and they they did a crash test with it to see if if they're uh, you know because the, the way the the crash test facilities work, uh, they basically have a, 
a cable buried in the floor and they hook it up to the bottom of the vehicle and they accelerate it down uh you know down a long runway uh to get it up to the the, the test speed um and then and then let it go as it hits the uh just as it hits the barrier and so they accelerated it up to 40 miles an hour it had no fortunately it had no problem at all handling a 9500 pound uh f-150 uh which is about twice its normal weight um and uh uh so they're they're looking forward to uh finally testing some of these big uh these big evs uh in the not too distant future yeah no it'll it'll they're heavy (laughs) yeah that's the, you know, and so, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're trading one issue for another and, and you know, and, and, you know, people are like, oh, well, they're, you know, they're heavy and they're, they're bad on the roads. I'm like, well, yeah, so are big trucks and other things that are on the roads. And so there's, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, I, I actually I'm, saw a carrier the other day with, uh, uh, with a couple of Hummers on it and, you know, those things are so heavy that they only carry two at a time. <laughs> They're just so they're heavy. They're they're it's, it's a big it's a Hummer. I know mm-hmm. we can we can sit there and make fun of it being like just how you know ridiculous. But it, you know what? It's it's always been ridiculous. It's you know Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted a Hummer <laughs> one day, and that's where this all started. It's all Arnold's fault. He was a big environmentalist, and you know he was like the like the he was a Republican governor of California, but the Republican governor of California is essentially like a Democrat everywhere else in the country. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, go, go watch the, 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 the sort of the, the video of this, of this car. Cause it's just like all the, it just shows you just like all the insanity of the weight as it just sort of flies through the, <laughs> through the cabin. Yeah. And it's, and, you know, this is not indicative of what happened with an EV because the, the batteries are at the bottom, blah, blah, blah. But it's still, I don't know. It's just sort of, you know, crash videos and crash are, are the funnest things ever to watch. Yeah. There's some, there's some wild ones out there. Um, one, uh, one of the, one of my favorite ones <clears throat> was, uh, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago, Mercedes, uh, did a, a crash test, a two car crash test with, uh, an E-class and a smart, uh, and, you know, did a small offset, um, head on crash test with, uh, with a smart and an E-class and, uh, you know, cause they were wondering, you know, how, how do the, how do these two very different cars interact with each other? And turned out that the, you know, even though the smart, you know, doesn't have much in the way of crush zones, it's so small and light that it basically just bounces off the E-class and goes flying off to the side. There was, there was a video of a ramming a smart 70 miles an hour into a, a concrete barrier. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, like you can still open and close the doors. Like that's yeah. how like, it'll sort of like, I remember people like, oh, they're not very safe. I'm like, I want you to go watch this video. Because that's just that's the engineering that went into that little that little thing. Um, I mean, but it you know it doesn't help you when you're driving around in a smart and everyone's driving around in Tahoes. Yeah. All right. Um, finally, uh, Polestar and Mercedes in the last couple of weeks have both announced um, power-up options for their EVs, uh, where you can uh, pay a little extra money and get some extra performance. A few weeks back, I talked about the uh, the Polestar two performance that i was driving which had an extra 68 horsepower compared to the standard dual motor polestar well now if you if you buy the standard dual motor polestar you can get that extra 68 horsepower for i believe it's about 1600 bucks uh Um, 
twelve hundred. Twelve twelve hundred. Okay. Yeah. So twelve hundred bucks, and yeah, eleven ninety five. So um, fortunately, in the case of Polestar, uh, it's a one time payment. Uh, you pay, pay the twelve hundred bucks, you get the extra sixty eight horsepower. Mercedes is doing it a little bit differently. They're making it an annual fee to get the extra power on the EQS and the EQE, I think. Um, and I think it's about uh, 16, I think they're the ones that are charging $1,600 a year. Um, so you, you, know, you get an extra 100 horsepower, but you have to keep paying for it in it's perpetuity. Cheap. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know why Mercedes is doing this because, I mean, we all like just hammered on BMW for years about CarPlay. And that was way less expensive. Just because you could get a Hyundai with CarPlay for, for, you know, as like either as an option and now a standard. But you only paid for it once. You pay for it once and then you move on. And Mercedes is like, oh, everyone will be fine with this. But they're not. They're not fine with it. Just just set it as a one-time fee. As a one-time fee, everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I can totally, you know, if someone's, oh, I want 68 more horsepower in my Polestar 2, would you have $200? You know what? Fine. I'll do it. You know, it's like putting mufflers and a header on your old car. You you probably paid, you know, you the the you know you probably pay that much. You know, six hundred dollars for the extra three horsepower back yeah. in the day. Um, but the, they're like, oh well, you know, if you just pay a couple hundred bucks a month. No, no, don't no, because we're already. It's like death by a thousand subscriptions at some point. You know, we, we're subscribed to so many things, and you know, care by Volvo. I think is a really great is really smart. It's a subscription service, but you get in the whole car. It's not, yeah, the subscription stuff for, for some of the some of the car stuff I understand. Like if FSD, when that works, or Super Cruise, if you don't want to have it all the time, you want to pay like, you know, 50 bucks because that month your family's going on a long road trip. Great. I can understand that. But just for power, just no, no, because no one's paying for power like for a month and then like, hey, look what I can do. And then, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Mercedes is also charging twelve hundred, but it's it's an annual uh, subscription, um, and on the EQE three fifty, <clears throat> it raises the power from two hundred and fifteen to two hundred and sixty uh, kilowatts, so you get an extra um, uh, forty five kilowatts, so about sixty horsepower. So it's about the same increase um, as you get with the Polestar, uh, but you have to pay it every year that you want to keep it. Every you stop year, paying, not just once. You, you go back to being just a little bit slower. But then it takes you an extra second to get to 60 miles an hour. But then, of course, you have to understand, is, is this linked to the car or is it linked to the owner? If I sell this car I would later... Guess it's almost certainly linked to the, um, to the owner. So, so when I go to... So when you go... This happened with, like, Model S's. Uh, mm-hmm. When people are selling them on the, you know, used Model S's, they, people would buy them. They were selling them as, oh, it has... You know, autopilot, which at the time was yeah. still uh, an option, and then you know you sold it as one of the options was autopilot, and then people would buy it, and then Tesla would retroactively turn off autopilot. Like, hey, I paid for autopilot for this car, which is just like okay. So now you you so, so now you're making the owner who's trying to sell the car determine whether or not the things that he or she has already paid for are are going to go with the car and then the people who are buying the car they have to figure out like well if i buy this with this extra power am i keeping the extra power or am i going to lose the extra power it's yeah it it becomes this whole like really confusing thing i really think it should just be linked to the vehicles but that's my you know that's just for the sake of ease 
of, yeah. of confusion. But, but then you don't, confusion. A, you don't make as much profit then. Yeah, you can't double up on it. Yeah. But then you, you, yeah, then you have people like having to deal with, you know, it's a whole. Ugh. All right, uh, let's answer a couple of questions. Um, first up from Mark Shakespeare. Uh, Stellantis dealers in every city here in northwest Arkansas, Jeeps, Rams, Dodges, Chrysler, and even one Fiat dealer, but no Alfa Romeo dealer within 250 miles. <clears throat> in this situation, owning a new Julia with a warranty seems to be pointless, so I've been considering a well-optioned, pre-loved 2019-2020 2-liter turbo Julia. I note the uh, note a little warranty left and relying on finding a good independent mechanic, though so far not found a shop that mentions specializing in modern alphas. Is owning a Julia so far away from a trained alpha mechanic asking for trouble? I wrote the same kind of question on a popular Julia forum, and even there they said I would need to be close to a solid dealer. Everyone says the Julia is a great driver's car, and it seems uh, a favorite with the journalist, even though it's not a wagon. Look forward to hearing words of wisdom from the wheel bearings car therapy team. Uh, I love the Julia. Yeah, me too. I love that car so much. I would not buy it if I wasn't near a dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and I and that's 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 such. A, I mean, there are plenty of Julias on the road that have had zero problems. But I know if I bought one and we're in Northwest Arkansas, <laughs> I know within like three months something weird would happen, and then I'd have to like trailer it for three hundred miles. <laughs> You know, six hours away in well, order he, to... He does mention that there is a Fiat dealer nearby. I mean, you can uh, reach out to the dealership and see if they they have... Yeah, that's what I would staff. do is, is ask, you know, ask the Fiat dealer or ask the other Stellantis dealerships, um, you know, if they will do service on a Julia. Um, certainly, they can they can definitely get parts for it. Um, the, you know, the, the challenge is whether their technicians have the training, <clears throat> you know, and, and are familiar with the car to do the diagnostics and, and to do the service on it. Um, the Alpha dealer, or the, the Fiat dealer, is probably your best bet uh, in this case uh, to see if they're able to do it. If not, if they can't, if they can't do service, um, you know, find, you know, just because the number of modern Alphas that have been sold is not huge uh, yeah. in, in the U.S. You know, in an area like this, you know, the number of them around, you know, the mechanics that you're going to be a unicorn if you have one you're going to be like yeah. one of like three people and <laughs> yeah i mean the, the number of mechanics that are likely to know how to work on one are probably pretty slim um so i would i would probably avoid it unless you move somewhere else um all right the other question we had this week was from uh, bren Barenshausen, um and uh, he says hey guys had a thought about plug-in hybrids I owned a smart, a standard hybrid, Prius, uh, and a BEV, a Model 3, and I can't say I'd actually want a plug-in hybrid. I get why on paper they seem like a good idea, but they're expensive, complicated, and don't get the real benefits of an EV because it's still the hybrid powertrain. Why is the standard for these being a tiny battery with a gas engine that powers the wheels instead of a full electric powertrain uh, with a mid-sized battery and a gas motor that just acts as a generator? This would give the... Um, the better driving experience and efficiency from the electric motors with the uh, extended range from the gas without the complexity of the internal combustion engine and transmission. Uh, a bigger battery, say around 40 kilowatt hours, would make it more a more appealing package in my opinion. My commute is longer than most PHEVs range, and I'd still want more EV range for moderate road trips than these currently offer. 
I think BMW did this with the i3. Uh, train locomotives have done this, and it's, and it's the approach Edison Motors is taking for big rig trucks. Why hasn't it been tried for passenger cars? Cost. Just right uh, down. You throw in, like, yeah. that battery is so much more, exp- is going to make that V, because you're already talking about expensive. If you're throwing a 40 kilo, you're just, you're, you're like, a, <laughs> you're throwing, like, a, a lot more money at that car in order to get the, the hybrid system. Yeah. That's, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. It, it basically, what Bryn's describing uh, for the listeners is a series hybrid, um, you know, which is, if you go back to 2007 when uh, GM showed the original Chevy Volt concept, not the production version, but the concept. This is exactly what they described there. You know, small three-cylinder engine uh, that would just drive a generator to keep the battery charged when it, once it got depleted. And then the, um, the, the battery and the electric motors would drive the wheels. And also um, the Fisker Karma, the original Fisker. Um, and it's now sold as the Karma Rivero um, and a couple of other variations of that. Um, that is also the same kind of configuration where the engine is not mechanically connected to the, the drive wheels at all. It just turns a generator. Um, it, 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 it's in some ways it's more complicated. Um, yeah, but you know, put trying to do, uh, you know, a 40 kilowatt hour battery pack in most vehicles and have a small engine for a generator would probably be too much to package. Although I do expect that we are going to see something like this um, on the truck side, um, particularly with Stellantis, uh, with, with the Ram pickup. Uh, they're going to show a concept version of this uh, next month at CES. And um, last year when, they, when Stellantis had their EV day, they hinted at uh, an extended, a range-extended version of the, the Ram EV. Um, and I, I think we will see something like this on the truck side, having, you know, a small engine range extender, um, to, uh, you know, to keep the battery charged once it gets depleted. Um, but you know, those are much larger vehicles and, you know, where that would be handy on something like the Ram is for towing. Uh, you know, cause this is the problem with towing is you lose so much range when you hook up a big trailer that having a range extender would be a huge benefit in that case. Um, you know, the, the BMW i3, it, you know, they used, you know, a, a two-cylinder boxer motorcycle engine as the range extender uh, for that one. And, you know, it, um, once you got into extended range mode, it did, it had, uh, it didn't have enough power. So you didn't have the full power of the vehicle available to you. So you 45 you miles had, an hour. <laughs> yeah, you had limited performance with that because the engine was so small. Uh, couldn't drive a big enough generator to to actually be all that useful. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the reality is, you know, yeah, maybe for you, maybe for you, Bren, a plug-in hybrid doesn't make sense. But I think there's also a lot of people for whom it makes huge sense. I mean, if you, you know, 75, 80% of all daily driving is less than 40 miles. If you have a 40-mile electric range, 35 to 40-mile electric range, um, that hybrid is going to be, um, you know, that plug-in hybrid, that plug-in hybrid is going to meet most of your driving needs just on pure electricity without ever using that engine. Um, you know, and some hybrids, um, you know, are what we call through the road hybrids where instead of the more complex, um, uh, 
drive unit where the motors are integrated into the transmission, like the Toyota-style hybrids. Um, you have the uh, the Volvos, which have a, a through-the-road hybrid system. So it has just the conventional transmission and engine driving the front wheels, and then an electric motor on the rear axle. And there's no mechanical connection between them. So when it's in electric mode, uh, it you know it's only driving off the rear axle, driving purely electrically. The engine's not doing anything at all. It's just along for the ride. Um, and it, you know, in in that case, you know the latest versions of those will do about 33 to 36 miles on a charge, which again, for most people, is going to be sufficient to meet their daily driving needs. And you will very rarely ever turn on the engine. Yeah, it's it's. I think people think they drive a lot further than they actually do, just because traffic. You're like, well, I spent an hour in traffic. I'm like, how long did you? How far is you work really? Yeah. And, they're like, and they look it up online. They're like, oh my god, it's only 15 miles. <laughs> yeah. They're like that's so it's it's yeah it's it. We end up you know a lot of us drive not nearly as far as we do during our daily drive. My brother has a he has a, a Volt. Um, he loves that thing, and you know after when you know he had a, he has a pretty far commute actually. I think he does 30 something. But, you know, his drive there is, you know, on is electric. Um, at work, he could charge it for a long time until they figured out they would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was just plugging it in into the wall at work and like, you can't do that anymore. But I think there and, like, some of the way back, like, it was electric. And then, you know, it was gas after that. And then COVID happened and he works from home. And at one point, the car just told him, you need to use up all the gas because you haven't used the gas in your car. Because he was just using it as they're just driving around town, like, taking care of things and so because he's not doing that long commute anymore like he wasn't using the gas the gas was going bad so he had to actually use you know the car was like i have to use up all this gas because it's going bad and then you can use the the electric car so there's there there are a lot of people and i think there's people are still sort of afraid of electric cars for a lot of reasons you know i think we haven't you know as a society we haven't done a uh, a, a pretty great job at explaining how they actually work and how everything works in, in charging at home, etc. And, um, and so when you have these, well, I can still charge, but I still have that gas, so I can still do that other thing. And Americans buy cars for edge cases. That's yeah. you know, they, you know, they're what if I want to go on a drive? What if there's an emergency? What if you know, if you live in Northern California, where there's a fire and I have to, you know, I have to evacuate. My electric car's not going to get me there. Whereas you know, I have a plug-in hybrid. I know that. Every day I'm just using electric, but when something happens, I have that gas, you know, that tried and true decades, hundred over a hundred year old gas engine. It's ready to rock. So I think there's, you know, there's, you know, maybe for most people they're getting a plug-in hybrid, which they really could have just got an EV. But, you know, if it gets people into the the uh, getting used to plugging it in every night. And it gets people to understand that they're not driving nearly as far as they thought they were. If you know, if it's 40 miles and they realize they're never using gas, and they're like, "Oh, well, maybe my next car should be an EV, and this will be the you know, the car for road trips." And so it's it, logically, I can understand your you you know, but no one buys cars based on logic, to be honest. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't have Miatas and BRZs, if, and and you know, if it was for logic, we'd all be driving Camrys. <laughs> yeah, Rav Force. I mean, I'll be driving Rav4 Primes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, we will have Nicole back with us. Um, thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.